Today's podcast is sponsored by PUBG Mobile. This month, PUBG Mobile is celebrating its third anniversary with exciting special events and offers. Join the third anniversary celebration of PUBG Mobile and be the last one standing with your exclusive PUBG Mobile Cup today. For a limited time, collect your exclusive PUBG Mobile Cup from your local Carl's Jr. or Hardee's when you purchase a large drink. Offer available while supplies last. Download PUBG Mobile today from the App Store or Google Play Store and play for free. See you on the battlefield. Spawnable is the premier podcast spotlighting people of color. Every week, we talk new, what we've been playing, and tell you who's invited to the cookout. Our show is all about talking about gaming through a prism of blackness, because we are the culture. Welcome to Bukaka, y'all. What up, what up, what up, everybody here in Spawn on Me land? What's good, everybody? I hope you're all doing okay. I hope everybody's doing well. I'm your host, Khalif Adams. I hope everyone in the chat, everyone here in podcast land, everyone in Bercago is doing well. Shout out to everybody in the chat. I see Boogie, I see Soccer, I see Engage Family Gaming. Shout out to all of you in the chat. We have lots of dope stuff in store for you here in Twitch land and in podcast land and everywhere that you reside in Bracago. Lots of dope stuff. First off, we have to give massive love to our friends over at PUBG Mobile. PUBG Mobile is sponsoring our show for the month. Massive shout out to them. We'll be giving out a code later in the show in our show notes here on YouTube and on Twitch and in our podcast feeds where you can get some in-game content directly to us and all the folks in Chicago. Make sure you're coming through and, and getting some of that love there. Of course, you see stuff in the back if you're watching the live show. You got the Zoa fridge from Xbox. You got the Bring the Rock to Spawn on Me love up on the big board. You got the Zoa in the back. We're trying to get them cats up in here so they can rock with us on the show. Uh, lots of good stuff happening here in Chicago. Lots of things to talk about uh, moving forward and uh, a little bit later in the show. For sure. So we have lots of stuff to talk about in big ways uh, going forward. So lots of cool stuff happening. Um, everybody in the chat, just let me know how things are sounding. I, I always want to make sure things are sounding good. We got to make sure things are sounding good. Things are looking good. Making sure that everything is okie dokey smoky because sometimes... You know, it just winds up getting weird. It just winds up getting nuts when you miss a couple of shows and all that kind of stuff happens. And it just winds up being weird. But we have a bang over show. We have a lot of cool stuff uh, to talk about. It's been a lot of conversations about various different things. And I feel like now's the time to kind of dig into it. This show is going to be a little bit long uh, and it's going to be a little bit funky for all of you listening to the audio version of the show um, because we're going to be playing some clips uh of certain parts of the conversation going forward towards uh the beginning of the show uh but again if you missed last week's uh make sure you go checking that out on the feed we had a fantastic conversation with head of dni from niantic labs Ni uh trinidad hermita i almost forgot her name i was about to call her niantic hermita uh, which is not her name trinidad hermita which is the, the, the head of dni over at niantic blast of a show she is brilliant as always uh, amazingly cool uh and, and she's she's just amazingly super super dope so if you missed that conversation make sure you're going and checking that out uh also if you see a little something here across the chest there may be a little new stuff coming uh if you're thinking about new merch uh there may be some things rocking as well 
coming up with a couple of uh, announcements that we'll be talking about. Not merch stuff during the end of the show, but other stuff that you might have seen if you've been following me on Twitter. Uh, at Kajai Kins is where you can find me at uh, over in those spaces. So jam-packed show, going to be a little bit long. Lots of clips that are actually kind of long and, and, and should be you know, long because of, I want to give full context on the conversation that we're going to have tonight. And I don't want to shortchange it. Of course, there are some edits there for time because, you know, the, the piece of content that we're talking about in terms of six days of Fallujah came from our friends over at IGN. And I'm not going to run a full hour long conversation that they had on our show. Doesn't make sense, but I, I chopped out pieces that I think make a lot of sense to the conversation, which I want to, I want to dig into, uh, this week. So, Again, thank you all for for hanging and rocking, and uh, let's get into all of it. Let's jump into the four one one and get right into the conversation. So there's a lot of cool stuff happening. There was a lot of conversations this week that bubbled up on the internet. Um, there was a a reintroduction of a game that was controversial when it first got talked about back in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sorry. Actually, no. Let me go back. That is 2009, in which this game was about to uh, be shared with the world initially. Uh, Six Days in Fallujah was a game that talked about wanting to give, you know, a very detailed version of the conflicts that we saw within the Iraq war and how, you know, conversations around those acts were going to be kind of put into video game form. Um, it was controversial back then. And now that a new trailer has come up uh, discussing and talking about those things that conversation has bubbled up again in a more profound and even more, you know, strife ridden way, um, which if you're paying attention to the, 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 the feeling in the room and the conversations that have been having around, you know, uh, the conflict that was, ha that had that happened in Iraq, the war crimes that went along with those acts, the U S occupation of Iraq for what has been over a decade, you would be surprised uh, if you if you did not know that there are many, many folks who were not excited about the prospect of having those kinds of conversations and conflicts displayed within a video game format. There have been lots of conversations about why that's not right. There's been lots of conversations in the gaming community around why it's unnecessary to have that conversation. And it's been pretty interesting to see how different folks have come to those conversations around that particular game. Um, and, and I'll say that the, you know, the conversations that I have heard um, of late have been both enlightening. Um, they've been frustrating. They've been um, difficult uh, in terms of the angles that I've seen many of my peers kind of jump into the conversation, which I think has been, one of the things that I want to talk about today, because I think that that's a part of the conversation in a real way. Um, but I want to start that conversation with the trailer. Again, audio folks, you're going to hear a lot of stuff. You're not going to see the visuals that go along with this. Um, it's it's necessary for the format and the way that we're going to do the show. 
Um, and I would implore you to kind of, you know, if you, if you do follow and listen to the show, go back and, and go check this out on YouTube. Cause I feel like you'll get the kind of best version of what we're trying to talk about today. So, um, I'm going to relay and show the, the trailer first to kind of lay the foundation for the conversation. And then we'll continue to kind of move forward with that, uh, right after this. My name is Jason Kyle. I was a sergeant with Lima Company, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines. On November 9th, 2004, I entered the city with 12 Marines plus myself. And by November 13th, I was down to four Marines and myself. Six Days in Fallujah recreates stories from the battle based on eyewitness accounts. One squad has already walked down this alley, so we're just like walking down pretty confidently. And like these guys just open up. There's one in the alley! There! I got you. Alley looks clear. Go right, on it. Suppressing fire! That was the go command. One tap issues orders to your team based on what you're pointing at. Pin enemies in place with suppressive fire while you flank. Order your team to stack on a door. Breach it! Open the door! On it. The GO command makes it as easy to direct your team as it is to fire your weapon. Go, go, go! The person who goes in first is never wrong. They have the most to fear. And as soon as I walk in, I see a machine gun right in front of my face, maybe 10 feet, 15 feet from me. Every time we would go into one of those buildings, you never know what to expect. You don't know the layout of the house until you get in there. And then you still don't know it until you go all the way through it. Room clearing, house clearing, it's different every single time. Marines and soldiers never knew what was waiting for them behind the next door. And if you want a realistic experience, neither can you. Six Days in Fallujah reshapes the battlefield every time you play. Each room, each building, even the entire neighborhood is generated procedurally. Every map is a new map. So just like actual combat, you'll never know what to expect. You hear that?
my son, he had his first birthday while we were in Fallujah. I want to take a picture. So I wrote, happy birthday, JJ, on a, a piece of cardboard, and I held it up. That was the most difficult day I had there. It dawned on me, it's like, I can't die on my kid's birthday. That's all I thought about all day long, was dying on my kid's birthday. On me! Let's do this. I got it. Come on. Clear. Room's clear. Good here. Come with me. Good. Keep a lookout. Right. What's that? So just think, you know, you have this Marine, you're amped up, you know, you got all this adrenaline going through, and you kick that door down in this like family of four. And I'm talking to the dad, I'm like, dude, like, why are you still here? And he's like, on the way of the television, I opened up this Allahwi, who was the Prime Minister. He said, Abu Mus'ab al-Zarqawi is present in Fallujah, and we're going to take him and take him. So that's why Fallujah can say, from the beginning of the work, وعائلتي وعائله ابويا الله يرحمه طلعت فابويا بقى راد يبقى قال ما اطلع تعرف اهل الفلوجه القدماء إيه يعني هاي بالنسبه لهم عار بانه يطلع محتل جاي ويطلع من قال ما اطلع هذا ابقى قال اموت اموت هنا يا اطلع قال ما قلت له لعد اني So you have that as the foundation of the conversation today. Um, there are lots of things to pick through within that conversation, um, within that trailer itself. Um, it is very interesting because um, I was watching the Five Bloods, uh, the Spike Lee movie this weekend, and and, and a conversation popped up uh, that I'll talk about in a second. But I want to I want to share. Off the heels of that, I want to share um, another viewpoint in this conversation. Again, there have been many during the show this uh, during the conversation this week. Um, friend of the show, you know, person who I love, cat who I respect a lot, Rami Ismail, you know, of Lambeer uh, fame, and uh, you know, Arab developer who has been extremely outspoken, not only about issues that happen in the Arab world and the way that the United States and U.S. and Americans. Um, kind of come to those conversations in a not great way. Um, but he has been a huge, um, you know, voice in the space about why this game doesn't need to be and why the conversations around this game are not great. And, 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 and I, and I want to share, he, he took some time to go through the trailer himself, a person who has, you know, you know, potentially, you know, who has seen firsthand potentially some of the things that have happened within these conflicts and has been 
in that world where uh, the folks who are on the other side of that conversation have been the ones most affected. So I want to, I want to share his piece, which is again, about two minutes long. Um, he's kind of going through it piece by piece and giving his perspective. And then we'll, I'll come back with some, some other thoughts, uh, of my own there. So there is a six days in Fallujah gameplay trailer. Let's look at this trailer. We've had, we've had our first, we <laughs> hello, Akbar. This looks a lot like Call of Duty, to be honest. Like the go command makes it as easy to direct your team as it is to fire your weapon. You're in a foreign country full of innocent people in a city like that should not be easy the person who goes in first is never wrong so if they just shoot a family that's okay i guess they have the most to fear no they don't the people in the house have the most cheese every time you play each room <laughs> each building even the entire neighborhood is generated procedurally <laughs> we're so replaceable we're roguelike now Fucking hell We've been randomized. <sighs> we're so important that we're literally getting getting randomly generated before getting blown up. Oh, this might be about the Iraqi son, perspective. He had his first birthday while we were in Fallujah. I wanted to. It's not about the Iraqi so perspective. Of course, it's not about the Iraqi perspective. They were also an invading force in a country where behind that door that's about to get kicked in, there is a father and a son, and in a second, one of them might be dead. The first person going in is never wrong. So if somebody got shot, that's not even counted. It's not even collateral. They're just dead now, right? But so far, we've really only talked about US deaths. We've only talked about military deaths. We've only talked about military feelings. And we've actually gone as far as to dehumanize the civilians that lived in that city to randomize houses and placements. So just think, you know, you have this Marine, you're amped up, you know, you got all this adrenaline going through, and you kick that door down, and it's like family of four. And I'm talking to the dad, I'm like, dude, like, why are you still here? He's like, Because the U.S. turned back military-aged men trying to flee the city. This is the first Arabic script I've seen in this entire... Where is the language? It's propaganda, once more. Anyway, it's pretty clear that there is nothing interesting here. This is just same old, same old. So I want to, I want to dig into that. And, and again, shout out to Rami, um, for sharing his thoughts. I think Imran Khan as well, uh, who, who's now over with us at Fanbyte shared some, some thoughts as well about that. The, the first thing I want to dig into is I, I, again, like most folks who know me, they know I am not very high on, on, on the military here in our country. I'm not a fan of war. I'm not a fan of going into other people's countries and killing them. I'm not a fan of occupying other countries. I'm not a fan of any of those things that are what America does from a foreign, um, from a foreign, uh, conflict perspective. We do that all the time. We've never not done that. That's been a part of our MO for a very, very long time since the inception of the country. And since we could actually do that, we've done that. Um, so when it comes to Rami kind of sharing his thoughts on that, he's right. He's not wrong. He has nailed everything that I feel and kind of share in terms of the sentiment that the initial trailer kind of shows. I don't know if Rami saw the entire, 
um, conversation that we're going to talk about in a minute. But I do think so. I want you to remember that trailer because it frames things in a really interesting way. As for many people, even folks who are coming into the chat tonight, seeing what this game is supposed to be for for the first time. You know, again, there's been conversations about how this game has been marketed. There's been conversations about how folks have called and said, you know, we don't want this to be a conversation about, you know, politics and, and, and that part of the conversation. Um, but again, you know, I go back to the conversation of me having that chat with my wife the other night while watching the five bloods, which is a movie about, you know, the conflict of the Vietnam war. You have five veterans or four veterans who have gone back to Vietnam to, you know, cash out on some gold that they had buried in, in the country as reparations for themselves. Um, but throughout that game, I mean, throughout that movie, there are these heroic move, you know, moments with heroic music and heroic imagery of these four black veterans shooting Vietnamese, you know, uh, uh, the Viet Cong, um, during that thing. And the conversation that we had was, I don't ever see a lot of media in which the other side of that conflict is given their due is given the, the ability to have that conversation about what it's like to have one occupying forces within your country come in to kill you Two, what is the historic kind of um, context for what that means? And then three, the continually re-triggering of those images and those moments for those people. I know I see it often enough when it comes to slavery movies and conversations around the civil rights where I am like, shit, we, we, we're lucky enough to have people tell our story here in the United States. That does not happen from what I hear and from what I see often enough, at least from a American lens, even from a, an American lens that gives space for the folks who have been aggrieved for all of those conflicts. I've not seen a movie in the United States that showcases and shares the story of Iraqis uh, to be able to have that conversation and share their perspective of what it was like to have a war put upon you that was based on false information and that was based on, you know, illogical movement, right? So there's a conversation there that doesn't get told. Um, so again, shout out to Rami for sharing his thoughts there. Um, it is that conversation about, you know, history is written by the victors as Roberto Gold in the chat says, but there were no victors within a lot of these kinds of conversations, right? So I want to go back to the game because I think that there was a really interesting interview that happened on IGN uh, from the fam. Um, 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 why am I forgetting his name? Ryan McCarthy. Uh, Ryan had a had a really good interview where he brought on two of the devs from the team. Um, let me see if I can pull their names up because I don't want to get it wrong. Um, and I think for the most part, you know, because IGN basically had this story first and they went and did a, um, you know, here's the first look at everything that's happening within this game. And then they did an hour long interview uh, with with McCaffrey. Why, why did I say McCarthy? Ryan McCaffrey. Thank you. Um, where he talked to two of the devs for about an hour and some change. Peter. Tamarte, Tamte, uh, 
and Jamie Griezmer. Griezmer, What? Griezmer. I can't, can't, I can't say their names. I'm, I apologize if I'm botching their names. But there are two folks who are working on it, ex-Bungie devs who are now working on this game. Um, so they have a pedigree in the shooter in the shooter space, uh, which is interesting. So they brought them on, had the conversation, and I think that there were some parts within this game or within this conversation that I think are actually actually interesting. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because there were so many people within the press um, who are, you know, we have a lot of folks on the on in the super woke side of the press where the conversation often becomes early on that if there's anything that you see that you feel doesn't have a place, you have to burn it with fire. And that part of the conversation I feel is super detrimental to bringing up conversations in a good way, broaching them and then actually tackling the issues that are at hand. I saw so many folks who are my peers being like, this game doesn't need to exist. This is propaganda that IGN is doing. There's no reason for them to cover this. It's stupid that they're doing it. They're just giving space for this game that's gonna show you know, Iraqi civilians getting killed. I don't think it's propaganda. I think there's a reason why you show this. I think there's a reasonable space that you can find to be able to talk about this in a good way that gives you the ability and the chance to put all those grievances again out on the table. We already saw this happen in 2009 when the game got pulled by Konami, but now, um, you know, we're, we're seeing that there's this weird kind of layer of I don't want this thing to be talked about. There's no reason to discuss it. There's no reason to have a conversation about it without, and I'm sure most people probably didn't see the full hour or go through the full hour interview uh, that was there. And if they did, and they still came to that conclusion, I still find that weird. But I think that that was a, a weird side note to a lot of things that we're gonna see and hear in the next couple of months when this game winds up coming out. And especially during the time when the release window happens, I think there's gonna be so much energy around why are you even showing it? Um, which I think is a detriment to the space and a detriment to the good conversation and a detriment to, again, one, holding people's feet to the fire, which again, they're going to be able to break down once the game happens. But you haven't, a lot of people haven't even haven't heard even the side of the people who are making it. So I want to share a little bit of that because I think it's important for context. And I think it's important to be able to kind of, you know, lay the record where it needs to lay. So, um, some of the things that were in the conversation around the game that I thought were weird um, kind of lay within the conversation that happened on IGN. I forgot what order I put some of these in. I'll listen to them with you again. Some of these clips are fairly long, so you're going to have to listen through it if you choose to. Um, but I think I, cl I clipped them in a way so that you'll get the kind of most concise parts of what you need. Um, so that you'll be able to kind of get better context for it. So, and I'll go through it as soon as we finish with the clip to talk about the parts that I found interesting. Um, and we'll have that part of the conversation um, in one second. Our first clip um, is coming up right about now. It's about eight minutes long. Here we go. Uh, Peter being Wiley um, sent me a bunch of the videos. He said, okay, well, you know, just watch these videos. Um, maybe they'll inspire something. And so then I found myself watching these hours of, of not just not just service members, not just U.S. Uh, like Marines and soldiers that were that were there, but I mean these interviews. It was with the police chief in Fallujah at the time. It was with the governor of the province. It was with you know people who own stores and 
in Fallujah, right? Who, you know, we're just trying to like make a living and, and every few minutes, someone would say something that floored me where I would just say, I had no idea that that happened. I had no idea that this was like that. I, why isn't anybody, why isn't anybody like telling us that this particular thing went, went down? Um, and I, you know, I, I was engaged with the news. Like I, you know, was addicted to cable news like everybody else at the time. Yeah. Um, it just was not, it was not being covered. Um, and so I, I went back to Pete and I said, okay, if we're going to do this, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be Medal of Honor light, right? We're not going to be a budget version of Call of Duty and get this done. Yeah. Um, it's going to be, we're going to make a documentary. We're going to make a video. I mean, there's been plenty of documentaries about video games, but there hasn't been a video game documentary. Yeah. Um, like we're not going to, we're not going to try to tell a story, right? Like we're just going to show these guys stories. See, that's what I feel like you guys needed to say in the press release. Like that's, that sums it up pretty well. Like, I feel like that's, that's, that's something that is very intriguing. That's uh and in fact, to, to that end, Jamie, I, I promise Peter, <laughs> poor Peter's being kept on ice over there. Um, but okay. this is, this is great stuff uh, from Jamie. Um, is Jamie, you're, you know, you're kind of most famous uh, to the game playing public, at least, uh, of being the 30 seconds of fun guy from Bungie. You're the guy that sort of I, produced I think, that, developed that. I think most and you know you're not know taking like credit, that. but that's. <laughs> I, I think most people know that quote because of you. I think you're the one who's really like um, kind of giving me that uh, moniker, uh, whatever. I, I, yeah, 30 seconds of fun was. Um, that was what Halo was. Yeah. Right. Like, um, the sort of the the meaning of thirty seconds of fun was you, um, you set up these mechanics in such a way that, um, the actions that you have available to you are constantly changing. And the situations that you're getting thrown into are constantly changing, but there's still this repeated loop um, of of you know melee and 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 primary weapon and grenades that are you know it's just keeping you in the flow, right? It's, right. It, it and it repeats roughly every thirty seconds. And well, the, the reason I bring it up is because in the context of Six Days in Fallujah, I want to ask you, you know, does that design adage apply here can it apply here i mean with with something that is this serious that is attempting to be a playable documentary what is the fun or is it fun uh as far as like the gameplay goes because it's it's not meant to make you hoot and holler and go yeah I, you know i so what what are the design so all of that and then the the, the postscript to this question is what are the design challenges of a project like this from a gameplay perspective? Yeah, I mean, um, so the the this is sort of another reason why this project is so interesting to me because it's a challenge. It, can we take the same principles, right, of like setting up mechanics 
and structures inside of a game to create an experience inside the player's mind. Can we use those same tools? But our goal is not fun, right? Our goal is empathy. Our goal is um, to give you just a little taste of what something must be like. So then when you hear the person explain in their own words what it was like for them, you have that connection point, right? Yeah. Um, so all of the mechanics in the game are based on these testimonials. Um, I think a really good example of that is uh, the procedural architecture. For that, we, this is a whole system that we developed for the game. Yeah. So we we heard over and over from these guys. Um, you never knew what to expect anytime you went in a house, anytime you opened a door. Like you could not anticipate what was going to happen on the other side. And in a traditional video game, that applies to the first time you play, right? You're playing through a campaign mission. You kick open the door. Oh, it's, a, it's an ambush. There's a guy over there. There's a guy over there. And maybe you don't succeed. Maybe they, they get you, right? You revert back to a checkpoint. You come back to the same door. You're, you already have a beat on the first guy before you even open the door, right? right? Um, that, is, that is not the experience that these guys had, right? Like they got one shot. And how are we going to recreate that in a game? So we spent, I mean, literally months and bordering on years developing this technology that allows us to recreate entire sections of the city dynamically. Mm -hmm. So not only do you, do you not know what's going to happen when you kick open the door, the, me as a designer, I don't know, right? I didn't go in and place all the little nodes and set up the scripting and all this stuff. It's generated. Yeah. Right? Kind of like then, Diablo, right? Where they procedurally generate their dungeons. Absolutely. And that, that keeps it fresh, right? It keeps you on your toes. Um, but I think most importantly is like, if you fail and you're going to try again, we regenerate, right? So there, you, you never have any foreknowledge. Right. And there's gameplay reasons for that. There's game design kind of like um, considerations where, you, where that's a desirable outcome. The real reason for doing it is so that you get just a little bit of what it must have been like. Obviously, we cannot incorporate the whole entire experience. Uh, we can't even come close, right? But we can give you just a tiny little bit. So then when you go back into the testimonial and the Marine says, I was afraid every time I opened a door, you understand why. You have a little connection that allows you a lot greater understanding of, of, of what this must have been like. So I want to I want to jump back in here and, and and say okay, so now we have more context for what they're trying to do. Um, a, a point that I wanted to bring up and a point that Engaged Family Gaming brought up in the chat uh, that I that I that I believe as well is if the idea for this game is to make this a playable documentary, 
you you're going to wind up having some issues and you'll see this during the clips that I've shared that even within the two folks that are that are on the team there is some tension even within the two folks in the team there is some wariness of is what we is what got put out in the world reflective of the ideas that we're trying to put forth within the game that we're making I think you wind up and, and remember the conversation around empathy because that conversation came up a lot within this interview, which I think is a really important point to hone in on and to focus in on is this idea around bringing empathy to everyone who was involved in that conflict. I think the hard part is when you make a thing procedurally generated you're then changing and kind of giving and kind of being hands off with the, the stage of war and making it something that will automatically just change anytime you want from a gameplay perspective. You then remove the ability to a certain extent to have the player engage with the weight of a moment because they're constantly thinking about how to not die. The other part of that conversation, and you'll see another clip that comes up later, is that once you've done that and you've made a procedural, it changes the way the battlefield looks, it changes the way the battlefield plays. But even within that conversation, there is no conversation yet. There are some clips coming up that talk about what that must be for the other folks, for the folks who are having their land occupied which I think is the big reason why everyone who is on our progressive side of the fence is mad at this game and is mad at this conversation because we already know the gung-ho versions of what we see when it came to the Iraq war. We saw the American sniper movie. We saw the games that came out with, you know, uh, America's army uh, as a recruitment tool. We saw all those things kind of in the mix already. We've not seen that conversation happen from the other side of the fence. So we have a couple more clips. There's like one, two, three, four more that kind of give more context, which I think is which I think is really important. Um, this one um, is kind of you know ending around you know uh, Jamie talking about you know the industry needs to kind of grow up, and the reason why they're making this game is that they can kind of try to you know get the industry to that point. <clears throat> Peter, I'm curious, I mean, after watching the gameplay video, watching your trailer, uh, just kind of as a, I mean, I, I feel like I got to ask, at least kind of get your thoughts on this. You know, this is, as you've seen, as, as we've talked about, and th this is a subject, uh, this battle, uh, this war is something that that is uh, very upsetting to a lot of people. It's it's something that's that's still very raw to a lot of people. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious if you could speak to, the question of why, uh, why not kind of go the full spectrum warrior route, not in the gameplay sense, but in the sense of real tactics, focus on realism, but can, but just setting it as in a fictional story rather than something that, that is, that so many people are, are genuinely connected to in their, in their, you know, daily lives, either in the, the active, uh, their family members or, or the memories of, of people they've lost. 
Well, it's because of the stories themselves. Um, they, you know, we have always approached uh, understanding about these events through the proxy of fiction in in, in video games. And um, but uh, being able to, I mean, we couldn't, for example, at that point, put these real human beings on a screen in front of you and have you understand their story. If we did that through fiction, we would have to rewrite that uh, somehow. And um, and and it's 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 knowing that these things actually happened that I think give us information and empathy for not just the people but an understanding of what has been dividing us culturally right. as well. And that can't you could certainly dip your toes in that through fiction, but you can't you can't really um, you can't really capture it. So um, uh, and there's a second point here, which is. Um, it has, it has truthfully, it's really bothered me that here we have this battle that is one of the most significant battles in the Western world in nearly half a century. But Hollywood has been afraid to tell these stories. Just because the war in Iraq was controversial doesn't mean that it isn't filled with stories of sacrifice. And so shouldn't those people's stories be told? I mean, if you think about it from a Marine or soldier's perspective right now, now I'm just talking in this case about that side. Mm -hmm. um, if somebody saved your life, you'd want the world to know about that. If somebody died saving your life, you'd want the world to know about that. And because the Iraq war has been so controversial, those stories have not been told. And I don't know how we, A, can recognize those sacrifices without telling those stories, the true stories, or B, learn from those sacrifices without telling those true stories. And I, I, I would say um, if you're making a full spectrum warrior or a, you know, some kind of training simulation, you're not telling the full story, right? We've talked a lot about the, the Marines and the soldiers' tactics and their testimonials. That's only part of this project that we're working on. We've interviewed dozens of Iraqis, right? In fact, we were, we were kind of like laying out, here's the events that we want to cover. Here's the parts of the battle that we want to cover. And we, we started seeing holes. It's like, it's easy for us to find somebody in Florida who was you know, part of the Marines to interview, but there's this, there's this whole component that we're not, we don't have enough, we don't have enough testimonials from Iraqis, to be frank. And so last year we have a, we have a, we have an embedded journalist on the team. Like, he, like he, he has done journalism in Texas, covered all kinds of, um, you know, sort of difficult, serious topics. We sent him to Fallujah to get more interviews from Iraqis that lived in Fallujah at this time. And those are going to be in the game. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get them translated into English and, and, and that will provide, I think, a perspective that you would never get from something that was exclusively focusing on the Marines. And that's so important to us at Highwire. And I think that is maybe the most 
um, difficult thing about the reception so far is um, is kind of our intentions in doing this. Um, the I've I've read dozens of books on this battle, watched every documentary out there, and um, the one thing that keeps coming up over and over is how inevitable and inexorable it felt to everyone that was involved, right? It's like this boulder and it is rolling down the hill and it is just crushing everyone. Um, and everyone feels powerless, right? To, to stop it. Everybody on, on the ground is just feeling like, you know, they, they're being asked to do these things or they're having these things thrust upon them they had no choice in the matter. And if we just stick our heads in the sand and refuse to talk about it, it's going to happen again. That boulder is going to keep rolling and keep crushing us. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, guns and, and tanks and explosions are really cool. Right, and people are going to make games about them, but they're not going to—they're not going to make games about the human cost or the decades of repercussions that happen from something like this. If we don't, you know, if if somebody doesn't at least try, right? We're going to chip away at that boulder. We're a tiny team. We're twenty people. Yeah. Right. We, we have, this team is smaller than a Halo multiplayer map team, right? Um, and we're, this, this is an ambitious project. And I, I hope this is like the first of, I think I hope more teams jump into doing things like this because I feel like it's time for the game industry to grow up. So lots of stuff to dig into with that clip. And, I, and I'm seeing some fantastic conversation within our chat. Uh, so again, if you're you're not if you're listening to the audio version of this, this is why you should be definitely checking us out at twitch.tv slash spawn on and coming through uh, when we do our live show. A couple of things that I wanna I wanna dig into that a lot of folks kind of talked about within our chat and I think are, are salient points that that come up. When I think about that of what Jamie shared and 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 what um uh Peter shared. There's a couple of quick things that come to mind. So they, you know, that's one of the things that we have been worried about is like, will the Iraqi side of the story be told? And they said that they're going to be parts of that conversation that happen um, uh, within that, within that conversation. The, the idea that we went and spoke to some Iraqi folks and had them share their stories one, that's also goes back to the conversation that I was talking about with the five bloods of now we're kind of re-traumatizing people for, for money. And we're saying, we want you to go back into your mind and think about the occupying forces that are on my side that came to your country to kill you. And I want you to tell me about how that feels so that we can make money off of this thing, trying to tell a story for you. Think about how fucked up that is 
in the grand scheme, even if you feel like there's a potential noble cause behind this. And I think that there is, um, I think that there is some value in what's happening here. Um, I think there's value here. I don't think it's fully going to be realized in the way that they believe it would be because of the political leanings of most of the folks in the game space. I think because of the way that they're trying to tackle it, I think of the, the kind of base premise doesn't make a lot of sense in the way that they're trying to do it. But thinking about all of those things feels like, again, there's a huge disconnect between even if you're trying to tell that story in a respectful way of broaching it in that way. And I think to a certain extent, I don't know how you would do that work in a way that feels respectful unless you did not make this a game. If you did not make this a game, there's probably a way to do this in a way that feels respectful. But once you have then taken that premise and that idea and then said, we're going to give that information that you gave to us and then put that in the hands of people who don't give a fuck and probably won't give a fuck, that part of it makes it feel gross because you can have good intentions for, 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 for explaining what this is, what this means to the world and all the repercussions, and all the ramifications that go along with that. But as soon as you then give that to another person to say, here's the scenario and you can do whatever you want with it. Again, the procedural generated parts of the gameplay deviating from the particular parts of the story because you can, because there's freedom in that, because you have to make a game a game then that part loses the emotional weight that you can put within a game like this. So I think that was in a really important part of that conversation when, in which you hear Jamie talk about, you know, wanting to make sure the, that the parts of the Iraqi story are in there. I don't fault him for putting that part in there. I think he's being honest about what they're trying to do. I just don't know if the idea of the concept is going to wind up getting to the space in which, they're hoping it lands, which I don't think is probably going to happen because of the gamification of these human beings who we occupied their country and blew them the fuck up. I would also love to see when the conversation happens a little bit later in the show or, you know, a, a couple clips down or like maybe one clip down the conversation of like the idea of what was happening through the Iraqi Iraqi uh, folks' eyes, I know damn well that a game like this would never, ever, 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 ever showcase the side of the Iraqis that was defending themselves. That was like, I'm trying to kill these Americans to get them out of my country. They will never show that part. I know they won't. If Highwire and the folks, uh, you know, who were making this game can show that and fully realize that and showcase that side of the conflict, I will give them props for that because that is a thing that has not happened in any game that I've ever seen when it comes to a military conflict of any sort that involves Americans. There is hardly any ever, even in Battlefield, you know, five and one where you had the opposing, you know, you had the different factions within each part of the, the particular wars in, in World War II. There was never really a prism in which the person who was being occupied 
their side of the story is really told in a way that was like, yo, fuck y'all for coming over here and trying to kill us for no goddamn reason. Different conflicts, different reasons. I believe the Iraq war was one of convenience and not one that was necessary. So that is my framing for this conversation. So understand that first. But I think that is a big part of the conversation to remember is like, how much screen time are these Iraqi folks going to get? How much of an, of a, of a, of a, of a story are they going to be able to be told? Because there's always going to be folks within that, within those groups of people who are aggrieved and occupied and destroyed that doesn't get the full breadth and depth of that conversation because it is still a thing that looks at, it looks at as anti-American which American games do that, right? So a couple more clips, you know, thank you all for, 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 for busting through with this. I think it's good for context. And again, I think it makes the points that we're trying to figure out for, for this particular parts of the game. A um, couple more real quick. You know, Peter, I w- oh, that's actually a perfect follow-up for you. You, um, you know, I have the luxury here of, of being able to follow up a couple of other interviews you've done. Uh, and in one of those, you'd said, on the subject of of including the the stories and and even some missions of uh, you know gameplay content of of Iraqis in this game, uh, you said because there's there's apparently it's it's a pretty there's not too much of it it's just it's a little bit here and there in the game but you said very few people are curious what it's like to be an Iraqi civilian nobody's going to play that game but people are curious what it's like to be in combat so I mean it sounds like you guys. I almost feel like there's not a, I don't mean contradictory in the quite uh, combative sense, but it sounds like from what Jamie's saying that there is interesting gameplay to be had there, but, but yet it sounds like it's a very small piece of the game. I think that uh, people uh, are, are not uh, broadly speaking, right. I'm talking about reaching millions of people here that, that it'd be very difficult to try to create a, Iraqi civilian simulator, for example, and, and, and attract millions of people to that experience. But when people are participating in this experience as a tactical military game, we can, we can unveil for them the Iraqi civilian experience as part of that, making that experience and making the player want to understand more about what is happening within the context of the battle, what the civilians are seeing. That's not something they're going to necessarily, it's not something that you and I are typically thinking about, typical consumers thinking about just on an average day, thinking about how am I going to, you know, that's not an experience. I'm like, I want to do that, right? But I can make that experience interesting to you within the context of a tactical military game and make you curious then about being an Iraqi civilian and what was it actually like to be in the city during the battle as somebody without a weapon. And Ryan, we have to be very careful, right? We, we're, we're a bunch of guys in Seattle, guys and girls in Seattle. Yeah. We have to be really careful in speaking for people that have gone through things that are outside of our experience, right? And so I'm much more interested in letting these people speak for themselves and, and, um, and, and including those testimonials as well. But we have to be very careful that we're not becoming exploitative or uh, it's just, it, look, nobody's ever done anything like this before. And we are on completely undiscovered 
ground right now. And so we are trying to carefully and and humbly like find figure out, you know, kind of where the the lines ought to be drawn. Um and and you know I think that I'm very proud of the team for like they they approach each of these topics with a, a seriousness that I think is appropriate for the for the subject matter. Well, I think yeah that I think a, a fair follow up here because I hear what you guys are saying, but you know Peter, you guys talk about wanting to make this a a playable a video game documentary, and it's like I I, I find that fascinating on the surface, but so then. But then you're also talking about, okay, well, we, you know, we've just got a little bit of the Iraqi citizen stuff in the game itself here, because speaking for, you know, mass market appeal, you, you've got to lean on the, the soldier, the combat side. So, I mean, a, a documentary's job is to sort of objectively examine something. So how do you balance the need, the, the desire to make a video game documentary about this versus the the commercial reality of of trying to sell a game to you know keep everybody employed and and may and have it be a, a a profitable enterprise yeah i think people will experience um that <clears throat> they'll, they'll get more of an understanding of the iraqi story uh not just from the stories of the, that the Iraqis are talking about, but the, the 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 realities that the player experiences as they have to overcome these challenges in the city, because there are consequences on the people for the things that the player has to do. So it's a comprehensive kind of thing. Um, we have to be careful with the word documentary, though. Um, so documentary uh, is is you know recounting factually how something happened, and. Um, I'm careful. I've been careful about trying not to use that word specifically to say that because it. it um, we are documentary in the sense that we are going to allow the people who were there to speak to you directly, right? And they are going to talk about factual events, but um, then we challenge you to actually experience that story as a participant, and then you are actually creating that part of the story after that. Right. So what we can do is we can set the conditions that existed at the beginning of a mission, for example, and require you to complete the same objective. But how you do that is somewhat up to you. So that's why we got to be careful about the word documentary, because it may actually be implied to say that the player is going to follow the exact same path that actually happened. That's not true. Our goal is to make you understand through empathy the choices that that individual had to make and the situations and dilemmas that they were in. So uh, I want to, uh, someone asked in the chat if, if Peter was a dev, uh, was a dev or on the PR team, he's on the dev team. So, and, and to add a little bit of context of that in the initial 2009, uh, formation of the team around this game, Peter was a part of that initial conversation and initial pitch, uh, of the game. He left the gaming industry for a little bit. After I think, you know, after the game got killed by Konami from the uh, Japanese portion of Konami, got it got killed. Then Peter kind of left uh, the game industry for a little bit, as they share in the beginning of this IGN interview. Which again, I think everybody should go check out if you really care about this subject. Um, Peter then, 
you know, pitch that to Jamie and their team over at Highwire who are making Golem to see if they wanted to be involved with it. So I think that context is important because you can see the differences even within the conversations and points that Jamie is trying to hit and the stuff that Peter's trying to hit, which if you think about it is very, very interesting. And it shows that again, there is this, this, this confusion even with, or at least it feels like there's confusion between the way that they want to talk about this. The conversation initially started about this being a video game documentary. And then you see Peter kind of, you know, pulling back a little bit to kind of reframe that to make sure that it's not something where, you know, the ideas around what documentaries are, 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 are supposed to be kind of, you know, the first parts that you kind of like dig into in your brain of trying to figure that part out. I want to go back to what Peter said initially, which I think is one of is the main crux of that piece that I want to dig into. And I think is probably um, what frustrated me about that clip was the idea that you couldn't tell this story in this way and make it something palatable and, and watchable and viewable and, you know, commercially successful from the Iraqi perspective unless you wrapped a video game shooter around it. That to me was super frustrating because I would much rather you give me that documentary story, do it in VR. If you want to make a digital version of this thing, do it in a way where you have an AR game, where you have a space to be able to go through in the same way that we saw in Assassin's Creed, uh, where they had that whole section that talked about, the historic landmarks within the game. You had that kind of exploration version of the game. There are many different parts of the medium that we find within the digital gaming space where that story could be profitable, could be reasonable, could be something where you give time for the breadth and depth of that experience from that other side of the fence. So I found it really weird and interesting that that angle of the only way we can really tell this story in a good way is if you wrap a tactical shooter around it. That part just didn't make any sense to me. And I found that to be really, really weird. And again, it goes back to the conversation. Again, if you're trying to have the main piece of this piece of the main, the main thrust of this piece of content be empathy, how much empathy are you going to have when you have to shoot everybody? I don't know. Let me take that back. I don't know if you have to shoot everybody because I don't know what missions are in the game. But you know, as a tactical shooter, the main thing you're going to be doing throughout the time that you're in it is shooting people. And you're not going to be shooting other Marines. We know that to be the case. So two more clips really fast, and then we're going to run, take a break, and go into the rest of the show. And just to speak, uh, to the that question of the tension between like the commercial viability yeah, and then please. the kind of artistic vision, um, this this game could not have been made five years ago, because in order to hit the fidelity that we need to hit for you to connect with these characters, we would need a team of hundreds of people, right? I think a lot of times when when um, these very large games say that they're not political, it's because they're made by 3,000 people on three continents, all with incredibly like different perspectives and experience and even understandings of what 
is political. So, you know, of course, like they, they can't have a single vision, right? There's 25 people working on this game. So I can talk to every single person on the team and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Like, like, how, like and from a variety of different kind of political leanings as well. So, um, you know, we can we can make this game without so much of that tension because we're making it with such a small team. Although at the same point, I mean, Peter, you did say that this game is not a political statement in uh, yeah. either way. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, so I mean, so let's let's parse that. <laughs> sure. So yes, of, yes, of course, we we um, of course the, the game does make political statements, but those statements come from the people who are there. And in the game, you will see real people on the screen directly telling you their story and their perspective. And then you participate in that in that story as if you were them, right? So that is that is what is unique about this project. And again, I want to go back to that conversation about when you are the person who is making the thing, how much of that actual political side of the fence gets shared? How much of that political side of the fence gets, gets told? I am infinitely, ex infinitely more interested to see what happens when you get to those parts of the game or those parts of the, the, the documentary where you hear from the Iraqis. And if it's, it's going to be a shit storm, if every one of those conversations doesn't feel like there is a place in there where those folks get a chance to say this was fucked up and for generations this was fucked up this has been here for 10 plus years i have whole swaths of my family tree murdered and gone because of a whim from an american president or from the the usual united states conflict uh, mo that if that part doesn't get in there that's a problem for this game. And I think that's going to be a huge part of that conversation. Last clip uh, for this section of the conversation, and then we'll move on. We'll take our break. Uh, but I think this is the last part that wraps it all together. What is it that you want players to take away from Six Days in Fallujah when this game finally releases later on in, in 2021? What What is the game's message? What is it? What What is it that you would like the game to say? really hope that players will understand both the cost and the complexity of urban combat. You know, it, Sun Tzu 2,500 years ago said, never siege a city, never try to assault a city unless you have exhausted every other option. And that has been the advice that military have tried to follow for a long time. And in fact, before these battles began, uh, before the first battle of Fallujah began, both General Manas and General Dunford begged the civilian leadership, do not make me assault the city. And the reason for that is because they understood that, that complexity and that human cost of that action. But we who sit so far removed from this don't understand that. And the farther we get away from these events, the more likely it is that we can let emotions drive policymakers to make choices that can cause e e enormous, enormous sacrifices. 
and I, and I, I'm happy that he ended on that. And that was the last, that was the last clip of, you know, the conversation for this. And I think those two words ring really loudly in my mind. The one about empathy and the one about sacrifice. And I think this, it's interesting to hear that kind of be in the mix because again, when you talk about folks who have been invaded, that's not sacrifice. When you talk about people who have been occupied, that's not sacrifice. When you talk about those conversations in ways where if we as a country would have minded our own fucking business and dealt with, you know, all the things that happened in 9-11 in a more reasonable way, we wouldn't be having the same conversations that we're having now about how we use that, that moment to decide that a whole part of the world needed to get blown up. It's a big conversation. It is a reasonable conversation to have. It's a conversation that a lot of Americans don't want to have, and they still haven't wanted to have since 9-11. They still want, you know, it's the reason why people still bitch and moan about like, well, you got to salute the flag and you got to do all this stuff and, you know, hoorah and all, and all the patriotism parts, right? But we as a country still haven't come to grips with the impact that our country has put upon not only the Middle East, but all the other parts around the world. And we never really come to that conversation unless it's folks who are kind of like really in the space to really take grips with that conversation, understand its importance and, you know, bless people like Rami and bless people like Imran and bless all the other folks who are um, poking at this game in that way and talking about those things. Because I think, again, that is important, especially for us in the video game space who are trying to elevate this medium in a way that feels smart, that feels more grown up and feels more weighted in the reality that we actually see. So, um Thank you all for, 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 for rocking with that. That was most of the show today. Uh, we have a couple of quick things to talk about after the break, but I think again, shout out to Rami, uh, shout out to Imran, shout out to those folks for, um, you know, doing the work of saying the thing out loud and, and, and having people rock with it. Um, huge shout out to Ryan McCaffrey for, for doing what I think was a really good interview. I saw a lot of folks kind of, you know, other folks in the, in the interview space who were mad about IGN even doing the project. I think that's a little bit too hot for that. I think that's kind of unreasonable. And I think that y'all need to chill a little bit because that doesn't, it feels lazy, to be honest. I went and sat my ass down and clipped all those parts out, watched the interview and shared more context because I think that's good for the industry. I think that's good for my viewers and my listeners and all that kind of stuff. Y'all can do the same thing instead of trying to kill things in the water instead of, instead of engaging with it. Um, so I think Ryan gets a big shout out to that. I think that's pretty, pretty fantastic. Massive love to him, uh, for, for doing that piece. I would love to get these folks on the show to talk about this. I think that there's still more meat on the bone to dig into it. A lot of the conversations that we had in the chat tonight, stuff that I shared while watching the clips and kind of re remembering what I, what I wanted to share. I think there's a lot of space to go and ask those folks directly of saying like, so what does this actually look like? What does this actually mean? There's a lot of stuff here that you're still trying to figure out. And it feels like there's some confusion and dissidence between 
you know, what PR is doing for you all in sharing your game and the ideas of what you're trying to actually put forth in the game that we don't have privy to because we just aren't playing yet and haven't seen it yet. So it'll be a really interesting game to kind of see, you know, moving forward whenever that becomes a thing um, and when it goes out into the world. Um, really, really interesting stuff here. And I think that, again, these are conversations that you only get here because we're taking the time to do it in a more thoughtful, nuanced way. Um, so we're going to take a, a quick minute and a half break. We're going to come back with some conversations around Xbox Live's name changing and with Sony pulling down games from the PSN and the PS3 and Vita side of things. So give us two minutes or so. We'll be right back after this. Today's podcast is sponsored by PUBG Mobile. The battle to be the last one standing is now expanding into a new island off the coast of Northern Africa. Coming soon to PUBG Mobile will be its latest map, Karakin. Built for 64 players, Karakin will feature an arid, rocky environment that showcases wide open terrain and challenging engagements. Be the first to win a chicken dinner on the new Karakin map coming April 7th. Download PUBG Mobile today from the App Store or Google Play Store and play for free. See you on the battlefield. Welcome back to the Spawn of Me podcast. I'm your host, Kylie Fadams. What up, what up, what up? This is our show, the second half of our show. If you missed the first half, you missed a banger of a show. We had a fantastic conversation all around six days in Fallujah, game that is bringing up lots of conversation and lots of controversy with controversy in the space uh, to be talking about lots of interesting angles to that conversation for sure. Um, and it's, um, I'm hoping that we get a chance to kind of see more of what that conversation is going to be in the bigger space. I feel like there's a good, uh, space to dig into it. Um, last couple of quick stories for this week. My mouth is so watery. Anyway, (laughs) um, Xbox live changed their name to Xbox network this past week. I think there was an interesting part of that. A conversation in which there is a kind of new idea around what they want people to think about when it comes to the name of the network. I think it is a a a cool name change because it now kind of fully shows and encompasses what they're trying to do. Um, it was something that got kind of leaked through um, the beta program. Someone kind of came up and and, and watched it. Uh, and saw it and took a screenshot and they were like, yo, what does this mean? This is something different. Um, again, this goes back to the conversation around, you know, what Xbox is trying to do. Uh, they again are trying to bridge out a better way to talk about not only what they've been doing in the space, um, but how they're kind of looking forward to the future. I think again, with conversations that have come up around, which new IPs they're going to be looking to buy. Discord has become a conversation in the past 40 to 72 hours. Um, With xCloud now becoming a huge part of that, them focusing on Game Pass. And the biggest part of all of that is them deciding and saying out loud that they just want to make sure you're playing on something that they own uh, and something that they have a part of the conversation along with. They're going to be dropping the subscription price on Xbox Live and trying to move you over to Game Pass or at least giving you the option, I'm sorry, at least pulling the need for you to pay money to be online within some of the some of the tiers and that stuff. So I think that that's going to be 
a interesting part of that conversation. I want to dig really quickly into the Discord conversation because I think that is really important. Uh, the rumor mill has been spreading that the Microsoft team has been looking to buy Discord for $10 billion. I think that's a huge win. I've said this years ago that whoever was the first console to pull Discord into their platform would win the next generation. I think it is actually that big of a deal uh, in terms of it. I know a lot of people in the space have already been talking about, well, this is going to kill it. This is going to ruin Discord. This is going to do something bad for Discord. It's going to go the same way the Skype did and all that kind of stuff. To a certain extent, it doesn't even matter. You'll still be able to use it on, pla on, on other platforms. You'll still be able to use it on PC. That version would be stupid to kill. It doesn't make any sense to kind of murder that. The biggest thing is you just get that thing now in... Um, you just now get it in... What do you call it? You just now get it in... Um, in, a, in the console, which I think for everybody is a really good thing. I would love for that to be in my console. A big pain point that I have, especially when I was playing zombies on my P on my PlayStation was I'd be playing with other folks who are on different platforms and it just doesn't work. That is not a, you know, a, P a PSN issue. That's not an Xbox issue. That was a call of duty zombies issue of not having good cross game chat support. But the workaround for all of that was for all of us to jump into a discord server and then have those conversations and talk within the game there. If you can do that and still have Xbox live chat and still have another version of being able to get into your discord channels directly from the console, that is a huge win for everybody involved. And I think that's the thing that people keep glossing over because it's the thing that people have been doing. It's the thing that people have been using in their workflows to, to play together with people. It's a thing that I have been doing. So I don't understand why people are always, well, I understand why, because everyone's like big corporations are terrible and everything that corporations do is terrible. I understand that angle. I understand. I get it. But if Xbox snags discord, that's a huge win for them. You can't lie and say it's not That is a big deal for them. And I think that gives them another leg up on a lot of different stuff which I think is extremely important in the big, in the big, you know, conversation uh, that we're having in terms of the game space right now. Um, so them changing over to Xbox, ne Xbox network makes a lot of sense. I think it's, I think it's smart for them to think about this in that way. And I think it is actually pretty brilliant for them to do it. Um, last story for the night is all about the PSN removing or pulling down later in June, I think. Um, let's see, in the summer, uh, around July 2nd, uh, this story comes from um, Polygon. Uh, there was a person named The Gamer, citing unnamed sources familiar with the matter, said that the PS3 and PSP stores will close on July 2nd, uh, and the PS Vita storefront will shut down August 27th. Uh, Polygon reached out to Sony representatives for more additional information, when no reply was made at the publication at that time. Uh, PS3 and Vita only games are now accessible uh, for now accessible only through the PlayStation Store app on both units. Those platforms are not searchable from the PlayStation Store's website and haven't been available there since a redesign in October. Uh, Sony phased out the PS3 over several regions between 2015 and 2016 before formally discontinuing the console in May 2017. PlayStation Vita, which launched in the winter of 2011 and 2012, was also shut down in March of 2019. So this brings up again the conversation 
Um, I remember someone saying 10 billion Royal Martin on, on as in terms of an evaluation. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was million. I remember them being saying billion, but in terms of the conversation around a PSN pulling and dropping PS3 games and Vita games and the conversation being a lot around restoration and making sure that we're keeping and preserving, um, those games for posterity and for the future and for history and for all those things. I, I understand that sentiment. I, I, I'm not going to be the guy who's like, I like all just new shit and that's all I want. Although I kind of just want more new shit and not old shit. Um, but I do think that there is a space there for the conversation to be around preservation in a long form way, which again is the thing that we have not as an industry really wrapped our minds around. Shout out to the folks like Frank Cifaldi, who have been at the forefront of that conversation, who we had on the show some, some years ago, I'm talking about that. But I also am just like super weirded out by the conversation that we always see with everyone when this conversation happens is everyone being like physical, physical games are the thing. You should always buy physical because this is the reason why. And this is a problem with digital stores. And this is the reason why only digital stuff is bad for everything. The same people will also be the ones who are like, we're killing the earth and we're killing the planet, but buying plastic shit we don't need. And we also trying to figure that out. It's a balance, right? We've seen the conversation that happens with cryptocurrency and the conversations around NFTs and all those things now happening about the actual, you know, ecological uh, issues that come along with digital stuff. But also there's a big part of that conversation with physical stuff. I remember just from my own personal experiences of what it was like to live with a person who was a hoarder for a long period of time and having to clean up all that physical shit. There's a, there's a balance there where you can have a little bit of both and sure. Like if there are physical options for things and you want to get a physical option because you think that that thing is going to die at some point, then sure. But also I, 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 I'm, I am not a person who, when I think of my, about my, like, my time on this planet, my own personal philosophy is like, at some point I'm just going to not be here. And somebody has to clean all that shit up. <laughs> like someone has to figure out what to do with all that shit. And I appreciate the fact that people are like, well, yeah, we want to salvage all the stuff to maybe pass down to other people or, you know, give to my, your, your children or any of that kind of stuff. But also, what impact does that have on the planet? What impact does that have on the need for stuff? What impact does that have on the idea that if you don't hold on to everything that that also has worth too? It's an existential conversation that is not for this show. It is maybe we'll do it on another show, but that's the thing that I always kind of think about too, is just like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I need to be able to do the show that I want to do and all that kind of stuff. And someone after I die, die tomorrow, someone has to figure out what to do with all the stuff, right? Games may not be the thing that I'm the most worried about when it comes to that idea of who gets to own what, what does ownership mean and how that actually plays out. I don't care that much. I think it's an interesting conversation that we, as a digital technological, uh, place that we find ourselves in this part of the, the universe's timeline are fighting that in the grand scheme doesn't matter that much. 
um, but it is an interesting thing to see people kind of dig into and talk about. So um, it'll be, I'm going to go and, you know, at some point I'm going to go download all that stuff that I have because there's some great games on the PSN that I haven't had a chance to, 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 to check out. Um, and I'll, you know, hopefully go back with my PS3 and play some of that stuff. But more than likely, I probably won't. But I'll try to snag as much of it as I can off the store before it goes away so that I can have it in some form or fashion if I ever do decide to go back. I'm looking at you, Echo Chrome, because I miss you. Um, so massive love to everybody who has been in the chat tonight, who has been, you know, on the show proper, folks who have been rocking with us tonight here in Twitch land and in podcast land, if you're listening in audio versions, again, huge shout out to our friends over at PUBG Mobile. We are giving away some codes that you'll be able to get uh, so you can get some in-game stuff uh, within those games. There's a couple of links within the chat right now if you want to, you know, click those. Uh, you know, those are in the space too. Um, but yeah, we have some really cool stuff coming up. Um, before I go, there's some great announcements, uh, that came up. Uh, I'm trying to hit the button, um, that you got, that got shared on the internets today. I, uh, am hosting the dice awards alongside Jessica Chobot and Greg Miller, a uh, huge opportunity for me. 2021 has been a monster of a year so far for, for me and for Bukago. Uh I'm infinitely excited to be working with the Academy of Arts and Sciences uh, to be able to uh, work with them and do that kind of stuff. It's going to be wild to be able to see that's going to be a thing at Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. My mug right there uh, with the dope folks uh, hanging out and getting stuff done. Me, Greg, Jessica Chobot, uh, doing cool stuff. It is wild that that's going to be a thing. I was literally in the audience last year for my first time after having said out loud that it was a bucket list item for me to be able to go to dice, went to Vegas, hung out, chilled with so many dope folks. And now I'm hosting that bad boy, uh, this year. So I'm hoping that they bring me back. We had a lot of, we've had a lot of fun, uh, doing some stuff, uh, beforehand, we'll be doing some other stuff, uh, in the future, uh, but super excited for the process of, of working with the folks over at AIAS, uh, on the dice awards, which has been such a cool thing. And so, so amazing to be able to do. Um, I will be doing a stream also this weekend for WonderCon. Uh, I'm probably gonna be playing like two hours or so, maybe two or three hours of loop hero, uh, for charity on their streams. Uh, that's going to be on the WonderCon. uh, Twitch channel and ours will be basically doing a, a, a simul stream there. So make sure you're checking out stuff uh, this weekend on Saturday. Um, and I think there is some other stuff that wind up happening that I can't remember because my mind is just frozen because it's been a very long show. Um, shout out to my wild aces fam. Uh, we are champions. I am a owner of the, of the wild aces in the fan controlled football league. We brought home the chip this past week uh shout out to everybody over kind of funny and, and my fellow owners over there uh for winning the championship uh i would i put out a poll the other day to say if fan control football league expands the league would you all be down if we tried to lobby to get a team into the fan control football league 
would y'all, I mean, that means we'd have to then not be a part of the wild aces anymore. We have to try to figure out our own stuff. I'm curious for all of you home at home in Bracago, if you would actually rock with it and come out and support, because if you're down to do it, I'm down to pitch it and see if it would be a thing that we can make happen. Uh, but I would love to be able to do that. Cause I think that was been super, super fun and, and fantastic. So we have all of that coming and we also have some cool stuff coming up a little bit later, uh, in the year. Some more things are going to be announced fairly soon. Some very, very cool stuff, um, to be able to come into the fold with, uh, including our, in our after show too, which we're going to go to in a second. Um, but until then, if, if you are listening uh, to the audio version of the show, thank you for listening every week uh, to the show. Thank you for pushing us higher and higher and higher into the rankings on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and all those places. Please leave a five-star review uh, if you are down to do that. Um, I had a, I got blasted on the internet this week because of my take on the Snyder Cut of the Justice League. I'm going to be doing this weekend recording a very special episode of ask anything about that people have sent in voicemails I, don't, I haven't even listened to them yet because i just don't know what's going on but it sounds like probably people are going to get my ass for my for my take uh i already saw paris send one in so that's going to be amazing in and of itself if you want to add to the the turmoil uh go to spawn on me.com i'm sorry speakpipe.com slash spawn on me um and leave a voicemail there uh, to tell me how wrong I was for saying that the Snyder Cut was better than Endgame and pretty much most of the stuff I've seen in the MCU. I know people are going to randomly try to stab me uh, in the street, but I don't care. I said what I said and I meant it. I don't give a shit. Anyway, it's my show. I do what I want. Corner 3 is also another show that we do on the Fanbyte Network with my fam, Nikki Grayson and John Warren. Please make sure to go check out our basketball podcast over there. We're going to be talking about the there's no big cap you got to hear dipper i saw you um we're going to be talking about the trade deadline i'm going to try to get that in early uh and see if we can make that happen a little bit earlier in the week uh but uh yeah we're gonna have a lot of conversations around that as well so make sure you're checking out everything there again massive love to you all everybody in podcast land everybody in twitch land if you're in twitch land hang out for a couple more minutes we'll probably do another five ten minutes or so because uh, my voice is hoarse uh, in our after show, everybody else on podcast land and YouTube land. We'll see you next week with another dope show, uh, from the spawn on me podcast. Much love to you all. And we up out of here. Peace. (laughs) 